Hey everyone, Jim Duncan with Sweat the Details and Nest Realty. This week, Bram Gallagher from AirDNA joined us on Sweat the Details. AirDNA is the leading provider of data and analytics for the $140 billion short-term rental industry. Bram has a PhD from the University of Georgia and began working hospitality data in 2015 when he joined CBRE as a hotel economist. In 2022, he left CBRE to explore different aspects of the, of the industry and was very excited for the opportunity to work with his long-term colleague, Jamie Lane, again at AirDNA. Bram currently works on developing short-term rental forecasts and researching regulatory implications in the short-term rental market. We talked about whether there is an Airbnb bust, the impact of short-term rentals on the residential real estate market, short-term rental policies, and the short and long-term outlook for short-term rentals. We had a really fun conversation between the four of us, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Bram, thanks for being here and for being early. Uh, it, it makes life a little bit easier when we're not stressing about who's going to show up and who's not. Um, so really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Happy to happy to join in the conversation. We're we're looking forward to it. We got some. Uh, we I, I shared the notes with Jonathan and Keith that uh, from our conversation the, the other day. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to do that because that's hugely helpful for us to to start shaping where we want to head so yeah fascinating. I can, of course fact check all the numbers that i, that <laughs> I put out there so not all of them are necessarily accurate from the earlier call but you didn't just pull it off from chat gbt and hope that it's right <laughs> not even worse you know i sort of dredged my memory Ooh, that, that, that can be better and worse depends on depends on the day um, but yeah, I think we'll probably look for 25, 27 minutes, give or take of, of conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, go from there. So if y'all are ready, we'll just, we'll just hit I'm it. good. Um, so I will, I, so Bram, after we do all the recording, I'll go, I'll sit with Dave here and do uh, intro to your, you know, re, re, read off most of your bio and, and do the full introduction. But I'll just say you know, good morning, Bram. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, Bram Gallagher from Air DNA is joining us today. I'm here with uh, Jonathan and Keith and Bram. So, Bram, good morning. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, the the question I wanted to start with is the one that we've been talking amongst ourselves for a few days and weeks and months. Is so is 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 there an Airbnb bust that's happening right now in 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 the United States? Right, yeah. So this is a, a question we've been getting a lot of, uh, especially after sort of a viral tweet went out um, just a few weeks ago from from Revity and all the rooms uh, postulating that we were going to have an yeah, enormous collapse of revenue that would precipitate housing market crash, et cetera. We haven't seen anything uh, like that. We were unable to reproduce uh, that sort of analysis. But, you know, there's two different ways that you can look at it. <clears throat> So certainly in aggregate in the U.S., there is not an Airbnb uh, bust. Uh, demand is stronger than it's ever been. We're going to see more people spending the night at short-term rentals for more nights this summer than any previous summer. Um, on the property level, though, for an individual host, you might see a little softness in performance this year compared to last year or even the year before that. So that might be where some of this anxiety is coming from. We What we did see is since there was such outsized performance in 2021 as we were coming out of the pandemic, 
you know, it was a real, real gold rush. And uh, a lot of people started to join the space. Uh, supply uh, went up enormously in 2022. So, you know, we added uh, about 320,000 listings at the beginning of 2022. Uh, so, you know, really, really strong supply growth. And this, this has caused a little weakness in occupancy on a property level. But on the demand side, we're not seeing any weakness at all. So people are still really excited about traveling. Um, and we're, again, expecting the, the, the biggest short-term rental season this summer that we've ever seen. So, Bram, let me ask you a question. Though. I mean, in terms of, of a bust, right, the, the bust could be two different things. It could be that the entire market is shifting and the demand is not there. And when we talk about companies like Airbnb, they talk about their revenues are growing, their their number of overnights are improving. So that's one piece. But the individual, as you point out, the individual owners may well be seeing softening in their demand and, and occupancy levels per unit. Um, which one is really going to drive the long term you know, feasibility of, of the industry as a whole, right? I mean, if if individual owners can't get more than, you know, X percent of, of occupancy levels, do they stay in the business and, and, or does that just start balancing? Because normally with hotels, we're looking at large operators who have, you know, tens of thousands of rooms across the country. And so a shift in, in demand shifts their immediate numbers, not so with, with occupancy of, of Airbnbs and, and other STRs. Right. Yeah. No, I've, I've followed hotels for a long time. My previous role, I was a, a hotel economist with CBRE and, you know, the biggest change moving into the short-term rental space I've seen from hotels uh, and looking at Airbnbs is the, how variable the, the supply is. So, you know, if you've got a hotel, um, you know, that, that supply is reason, we can reasonably expect that, that, that supply to stick around for the foreseeable future. And supply growth is pretty easy to predict. You'll just look to see if someone is building a new hotel, but short-term rentals, not quite like that. We see there's, there's churn, uh, which is to say that you know some people will list and then stop listing, so people will come in and out of the market pretty frequently. And a lot of uh, a lot of short-term rentals are only available seasonally, so we're we're looking at second homes uh, that people might be renting. So uh, if we have so, so so the supply growth that we saw last year it was in response to unit level performance surging in 2021, and since we did see a little bit of a little softening of that last year and this year, we are seeing some of this effect uh, translate into slower, so slower supply growth than we've seen in the past. So, whereas in 2022, uh, uh, we saw that 320,000 listings, this year over the same time period, we're only seeing 260,000. So, fewer new listings coming in. Um, the supply is still growing, but it's not growing as fast. So, what we're seeing is, is, it's the market is achieving more of a balance this year than it has in previous years. So yes, it's softening, but it's softening from these all time highs that we saw in 21. So the real height of revenge travel uh, of all that pent up demand from, from COVID, we're probably not going to see that again, barring another, you know, international pandemic. Um, but, but what we are seeing is yeah, return to balance. Okay. Uh, in the supply and the demand. One other factor that, of course, has, has gone into this is the uh, sort of meteoric rise of, uh, of uh, interest rates we've seen since March last year. And that 
that cuts two ways uh, that that interest. So we know that housing is more difficult to uh, to purchase when you've got these sort of large mortgage payments. Uh, so we've seen a big slowdown in transactions in residential housing. On the one hand, this could mean that it's, it's more difficult to enter the space if you're wanting to get into it um, because you, you might have to, to pay additional uh, mortgage interest. On the other hand, if you are holding on to a home, uh, you you may defer uh, the transaction until interest rates you know mitigate somewhat, uh, maybe next year. Uh, what are you going to do with that house in the meantime? You might leave it on the short-term rental market to, to realize some revenue in the meantime. So, um, so that is an additional factor. But, but yeah, I would say that you know what we're doing is approaching more long-term levels of occupancy, uh, and I think that is going to be to the benefit of the people that are seriously interested in the space that have uh, expertise in the space. Uh, and it, it, it may be discouraging for the more casual investors or people that were trying to capitalize on the performance that we saw in 21. So so essentially your take in the Airbnb bust concept is that we're just retreating back to a sense of normalcy. So it's it's really not wise to anchor off the highs. And I know that the, the stories that I've seen and that I've read about and that I've heard is one of the stories you probably heard about was for the Super Bowl in Phoenix this past year, 50% of the short-term rentals were, were actually leased rented for that period, which was dramatically lower than expected. Um, and I'm also hearing in different vacation areas along the East coast that rental rates are down. Um, occupancy levels are down and that's probably what you're saying is because of just balancing a balancing market so it's it's, it's much less homeostasis a, it's, right it's figuring out what this market's going to bear yeah I, I would point out too yeah that super bowl story uh was very interesting because you know we saw a big demand rush for for the super bowl but phoenix has seen some of the most dramatic supply increases um of any of the markets in the u.s i think it's the i think it's the number one uh, for supply increases over the last uh year uh, so, so yeah, to, that is sort of a very exaggerated example that sort of characters, I guess, the, the market as a whole. Um, you know, we're still seeing strong demand, lots of interest, but in the case of Phoenix, the supply growth was just so enormous uh, that it couldn't overpower that. But I, w- I will say, too, though, that the occupancy rates that we're we are seeing today and that we're expecting for uh, for the foreseeable future are higher than they were pre-pandemic. So nationally, occupancy was around 55% in 2019. Uh, we're expecting it to be a little, uh, you know, 57.6%. So uh, a, a few points above, so about two and a half percentage points above the 2019 levels. We're expecting it to continue to be higher than 2019 pre-pandemic for a while. So to some extent, yes, we're getting back to normal levels, but on the other hand, we do see a permanent bump in occupancy for short-term rentals after Graham, the pandemic. With your with your experience in the hotel industry and and studying those numbers for so long, where does where do those fifty-seven percent occupancy levels fit within um, a hotel acceptable occupancy rates? When are you building more rooms? Yeah, so uh, I will say short-term rentals will definitely run a, a bit lower in, in occupancy than uh, hotels will. And that is, again, because of that really flexible supply. Um, you know, you'll never get to 
a, a full occupancy like we saw say in new york uh, in 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 the last uh you know recent recent past i guess you should say so we were you know getting occupancy levels sometimes in the 90s you probably won't ever see that in short-term rentals because if there is that much interest you can bring supply in much more easily so i think there's always going to be a sort of a lower occupancy because there is a lower barrier uh to entry in the market have you seen the that barrier have you seen that risen as localities introduce legislation and restrictions against these short-term rentals? Because in, in a lot of our markets, you're seeing, you know, as the short-term rentals have become more prominent within within communities, localities are tamping down on people's ability to to rent these out. Yes, absolutely, and we see that especially in in big cities, urban centers, New York. I saw an article. Uh, on San Francisco the other day, and it pointed out that, you know, demand for short-term rentals in San Francisco is is down 30% uh, or so compared to pre-pandemic. And that's true, but, you know, San Francisco shed about 4,000 listings after the pandemic, and they really haven't come back. And that's that's kind of the pattern that we're seeing with, with these, you know, very strict regulations in some urban areas, is that you can take the short-term rentals down you can remove them from the market but getting them back in there is very difficult so in a lot of these cases we're still trying to get to pre-pandemic levels of of supply can can we can we talk about the regulations for a minute and just kind of overview of what are the regulations that we're seeing many localities put into play that that owners need to be thinking about that are controlling either the supply or the demand yeah that's a great question and it is highly localized. So sure. I would say that for anyone that is planning on getting into the space to really do your research on the localities that you're interested in, because it varies so much from place to place. Now, there are some regulations that, you know, I think that are very positive for the industry and necessary. Um, one of the biggest ones is uh, occupancy taxes. Uh, hotels pay occupancy tax, and that usually feeds into the budgets for destination marketing organizations. Um, and I think it's really important for short-term rentals to to buy into that so that they can have uh, a, a place at the table in in a, in a locality um, and and be able to you know assert you know their place in the local tourism ecology. Um, registration is, is also a pretty good idea, and that's that's a, a very popular um, regulation just to get an idea of who is operating in the in the space. On the other hand, there are some deleterious. Uh, regulations that we, we think are, are over stringent. So some of these might be only being able to rent out a house that you live in, uh, only being able to rent out a certain number of nights uh, in the course of a year, say 30 or 90. Um, see, see those in some localities. Um, so restricting or, or putting a cap on the total number of short-term rentals that can exist in a market is another one that we've seen. Um, and that can actually help out, you know, the local short-term rental operators that are already in the market, but it does prevent, you know, future growth and, and the benefits that you can see from additional tourism there. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult question because there are, you know, pluses and minuses to, to some of these regulations. But uh, I think when we look at the benefits of tourism, the benefits that it can bring to a community that, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're not, just having blanket regulations to sort of outlaw the short-term rentals demonizes it unfairly, perhaps, um, because you 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 may be hurting uh, you know taxes, you might be hurting employment, you might be hurting um, 
economic development that would occur in your locality. Interesting. So let me let's talk about that regulation a little bit. Are you seeing the regulation? Let me maybe reframe the question. Is your expectation that the regulation will stay on a local level, or is this something that you think is going to kind of rise up to a state or national level? Uh, that's a great question too, uh, because you know the the way that the regulation is right now with the hyper locality, uh, it, it is difficult for investors to get a handle on what the landscape is. Uh, so there might be some benefits in having more. Um, uh, um, uniform regulations and and taking it up to a state level or even national level might be one way to do that uh you know another way that we could maybe do that is just to provide you know as an industry player just to provide some model regulations Uh, because you know what i've seen is a lot of localities they don't really know how to regulate um uh, short-term rentals they know that they're getting some pushback from constituents that are worried about housing prices. They're worried about, um, you know, quality of life stuff. Um, so they might just pick eh, some locality that's close by and copy those regulations. So, you know, I think you know, coming up with some model regulations and, and really saying as an industry, like that these are these are the, the regulations that we think are effective, um, that can help your uh, your your location balance the benefits of of tourism with, you know, the costs of over tourism. Uh, so, you know, I, I live in Atlanta and uh, the Atlanta Metro short-term rental alliance is is trying to draft some uh, regulations that it, it is considering that the most equitable and most fair. So um, what I've been trying to do is cooperate with them and maybe write, write some pieces so we could introduce maybe some, at least a, a process by which you could arrive at at some good good regulation we think now when you were talking about you know, the investors figuring out where they want to invest right when you look at the the number like the across the whole spectrum of, of people of investors out there you know what percentage of those investors are you know jonathan's or in keith's or mom and pops or are big corporations that own you know copious numbers you know of, of units yeah, um, that's a great question too. There might be some misconceptions around this. The the mainstay of the business is still small operators. So if we look at the total number of listings, what we would consider a commercial operator that might have twenty or more um, listings, that only makes up about a quarter of all the listings. So it makes up a much smaller proportion of the hosts, as you can imagine, um, as well. So most people that are in the space. You know, 75% of all the Airbnbs, all the listings that you see, those are those are smaller operators. Um, and, um, you know, it, there have been some inroads into this, but so far it's been difficult, I think, to scale up the short-term rental experience because it is so unique and personalized. Um, but we, you know, we have seen, we have seen some, some attempts at this. There's Marriott's Home and Bills and, you know, Sonder and uh, Vacasa trying to have the branded experience, but, um, but so far, yeah, we still have a lot of smaller operators in the space. And in terms of the larger operators, you know, one of the big booms we've had over the past decade has been apartment apartments. And there's a, a million more apartments that are under construction in the U.S. right now. And there's some right. predictions out there that, gosh, you know, the, the, the demand may not be able to keep up with the with the upcoming supply. Have you seen apartment developers 
take sections of apartment buildings um, or even develop small, you know, 10, 15, 20 unit apartments for short term rentals? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Sonder was one of those, those, those companies that, that, that looked at, that was looking at multifamily development um, with the way that, you know, residential prices have been going and the rents have been going, I, I would find it very, uh, you know, very difficult to imagine scenario where we, we've got so much residential real estate that we you know we're going to have to put it on a fire sale. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition, I think for, for that, for that, you know, real estate, there's a little more trouble with office as far as commercial real estate and what to do with a lot of, a lot of those buildings. Those are difficult to repurpose. Um, but you know, uh, there have been some experiments in short-term rentals and, you know, there, as you say, some of these can exist in traditional sort of multifamily long-term rental like buildings. Um, and, you know, and, and I had heard from some operators too, that, you know, having a few in the same building really can help economize on costs at some point, you know, if you're going to be building one of these, you, you know, you, you want to make sure that. It, it is distinct from a hotel or else you've just built a hotel. Right. <laughs> Lose your competitive advantage a little bit. Um, so I'll actually, w w I want to ask one more question. You, you mentioned pricing or uh, real estate pricing. Mm. One of the big pushbacks against short-term rentals in some localities has been that uh, buyers and sellers are now pricing residential real estate almost as commercial real estate and kind of integrating in cap rates. So we look at a at a at a as a single family home or a townhome that could be a short term rental and say, well that generates eighty five thousand dollars a year in short term mm -hmm. rental income. So therefore the cap rate um, you know, m may make it worth, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars versus the kind of the the residential comps it's only worth six hundred thousand dollars and that's once again driving up the price of real estate which is a problem um we won't get into that right now sure. do you have any thoughts or opinions on that um and an insight into the the data that you're tracking do you, do you track data of uh of of home prices in in areas where airbnbs are you know more popular yeah um that is an area of research that I've, I've got quite a bit of interest in. And, you know, there is a lot of academic interest in that as well. So I, I had previously released a review of all the academic literature. So I've tried to read every paper I can get my hands on uh, that looks at the effect of short-term rentals and, and housing prices, because the housing uh, affordability crisis in the U.S. is certainly real. Um, what we've come away with, though, is, is you know, unfortunately, the power that we have to uh, increase affordable housing through eliminating short-term rentals by either regulation or, um, you know, or, or zoning or what what have you, uh, is, is very, very limited. So, you know, it, um, I think the most part, for the most part, what, what we've got is, an, is a big inventory shortage they can't be made up with short-term rentals, uh, you know, as they are as they are today. Uh, you know, it's it's been going on since I guess the the Great Recession. We saw a lot of construction, especially of affordable housing. <clears throat> a lot of short-term rentals, if they were say pulled off of the market because they're second homes, because they're often in you know vacation-focused areas, these would not necessarily go immediately into the long. Uh, term rental market, you know, so they've superficially looked similar, 
um, but they're they're really not in in close competition. And you know, certainly a lot of these are are very upscale buildings, ski chalets in in Big Bear, and um, you've got beach homes in Destin. Not necessarily, you know, of uh, uh, what we would consider affordable housing, where they to to go on the the market. Um, so, so yeah, I think that it's been it's been identified as sort of a new trend, and 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 therefore it, it it's it's been somewhat um, antagonized by the press, and sort of identified as a target um, when the housing affordability crisis is is a much larger problem and more complex than just the introduction of uh, Airbnb. Brim, I'm wondering, is, you know, you, we're talking about Destin, we're talking about some of the, the higher price markets, but within the regular, you know, mainstream residential areas, um, within, you know, suburban, urban areas, is there any research that's been done on, like, the average value of an Airbnb property or any short-term rental property versus um, the median prices across the country? Are we... Are these tending to be higher end homes or are tons of these people who are just holding on to their first home, entry level home while they're buying their next step up, which which we certainly we feel like we see in our market. We see buyers of step up homes not relinquishing the ownership of their original entry level homes. And so I'm just wondering, is there any research that's been done on those those medium prices? You know that's a really great uh, that's a really great research topic. Actually, I, I'm not uh, aware right now of, of the data that directly compares, say, median housing prices versus median short-term rental housing prices. Um, what we what I can do is I can look at the types of you know locations where we've seen a lot of a lot of growth in the last um, a few years. Um, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't think of a. I can't think of a, an outstanding bit of research we've got that addresses so this, that. This directly. is a good reason to have you back in three months with the <laughs> results of your research, because I think I do this need is, ideas for papers, Keith. Thank you. This is well. I mean, this is one of those really fun topics where you know we see and we feel, at least in our markets where we operate, that you have because of the crazy low interest rates that we've had over the last few years, that owners of entry level properties refinance those properties, take the equity out to buy their second home and hold on to their first and use it as a short-term rental or as a long-term rental, right? It's This is not just a short-term question. But, you know, I'd be fascinated to know what percentage of the STRs that we see on the market really are, are mainstream homes, not just luxury properties in, you know, in Banff or whatever. I mean, it, this is this is not just vacation properties that, that we're seeing for STRs. We're seeing people use them for regular travel, visiting families, visit, you know, going to the mainstream location. So I'd love to see where that goes, but. So I have a question that. Yeah, when... I, I would say that, uh, you know, again, the listing growth that we've seen over the last few years, it has focused a lot on um, rurals and small town areas and also big uh, destination locations. Mm -hmm. Um Less so in in urban areas, certainly, and that's where you know Airbnb started. Um, but yeah, there is this, that suburban element that, yeah. that may be, uh, you know, capturing that behavior that you're that you're describing. So, Brandon, where, where so where do y'all get your data? Is the first question. Like, what is it? What does it comp encompass? 
And the second one is what percentage of total inventory in, in the U.S. do STRs comp, com, compose? I mean, are they are like are they one percent of all housing inventory? Are they two percent, five percent? Do you have any sense of that? I well, I know how many listings there are. There's you know one point five million uh, available listings about in the U.S. Okay, uh, that, you know that's increased a lot. So that that's up from just you know about a million uh, just a couple of years back. Um, but you know you look at the total housing stock, it's not not a huge percentage, right? One point five million. Uh, versus, you know, the, the the total housing stock. So it's a fraction of a percent. So what I was getting, if you were to convert, you know, one and a half million or a million of those back to, you know, full on full time residential real estate, on aggregate, it wouldn't have you know a massive impact on the total housing affordability in the U.S. Well, you'd have yeah, that. and you'd have to assume that every single one of those listings would immediately go up in, in the long-term rental market which which again is not necessarily the case um you know to to keith's point earlier too even if you're holding on to a second home and you're you're trying to sell it there are a lot of attractions there's a short-term rental market you know you don't have to evict anyone you don't have long-term contracts so it may even be the case that for for those types of um you know those types of situations that the people would elect just keep it empty rather than put it on a long-term market so so yeah, even if all of all of the uh, even if all the short-term rentals win in the long-term rental market, it would be a, a marginal increase. Um, but but moreover, almost all of those I, I would think would not go on the long-term rental market. I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and maybe talk about the future. Um, you know, you, I think it's a pretty amazing stat to say that we've gone from a million to a million five uh, listings in just the last couple of years. Um, what, what is, what does the future hold with this? We've, we've reached a little bit of a balanced market right now. This is clearly a growing trend in terms of demand out there. What's the expectation for the next two, three, four, five years with the short-term, um, rental market? Yeah. And I should point out too, that, uh, you know, some of that, some of that growth that we've seen, uh, that really, you know, big growth in listings, some of that's recovery from pandemic. So we did lose you know, a, a lot of uh, listings in 2020 when there just wasn't a lot of interest. 2021, we didn't see a lot of increase either. So, you know, big part of that is kind of a, a pent up um, uh, recovery growth period. Uh, I think we are seeing more balance. We are still seeing a lot of uh, growth though in, in there. So, you know, it's, it's less than last year, but it's still pretty pretty fast paced. We are at the highest level of, uh, of listings that, that we've ever seen right now. Um, what we're expecting though, is where we used to see say 25% year over year growth in say 2022. You know, this year it's gonna be calming down to more like a uh, like a 14% growth in the nights listed. And then next year we're, we're thinking it's going to uh, soften a little bit more to 10% growth in the supply. And that's much more balanced with the demand that we're seeing. Again, we're expecting demand to increase about 10% this year. Um, so there is a little bit of imbalance there, right? 14% supply, 10% demand. You're going to see a bit of diminishment in occupancy. It's going to be much closer next year with that 10% supply. Hmm. 
I mean, it, it's it's. I'm I'm just looking at the future of, of how this is going to affect. You know, what, a lot of our practices is based on residential real estate and how it's going to affect it. And I think that what I'm hearing is that the the localness, if you will, of regulations and the markets is where we're all we're obviously going to see the 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 effects because we can talk aggregate of one half million and from the airbnb perspective i think that's that's one thing but from the individual you know residential owners who are operating these as, as second income if you will that that's where we really see the the rubber meet the road well and, th- and jim to that point this is this is where i think the the regulation is fascinating because even if we accept that there's 1.5 million strs and even if we regulated this entire industry out of existence if you, if we're assuming that a s- substantial portion, maybe 25, 30% of these homes are primary residences, if you did away with STRs 100%, those 30% just cease to be STRs. They stay primary residences. Those houses have no ability to come on the market. Right. The remaining 65% are investor owned, at least maybe mom and pop investor, maybe institutional investor, but half of them you figure are going to convert into long-term rentals. So you're only, there's probably like 25, 30% of all STRs that could even potentially go back on the market if we, if we actually outlaw, and yeah. we're not out like, don't worry, we're not saying we're outlawing this, <laughs> this That's industry, the quote. but it's, you know, I think when we talk about what is being sucked out of the market for available homes, it's just not that big of a number at all. And, um, that's a, that's a really fascinating way to look at that. Especially when you figure many of these are in second home markets anyway, right? right. And you know, sure. if you're looking at long-term dynamics too. We, you know, we're we're not just looking at a fixed amount of of structures. We, we, we right. could foreseeably build new uh, new homes to both accommodate long-term and short-term rentals in the future. Um, but regulations, because they introduce a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think that that's going to have, it might have a chilling, discouraging effect on, on new development, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, well, and, so, and Bram, to that, I will say that, that, you know, I'm a huge advocate and we talk a lot about on Sweat the Details, we've talked a lot about accessory dwelling units. And I'm a big advocate of homeowners using ADUs to reduce the overall cost of ownership of, of residences, make things more affordable. That's mm-hmm. providing an affordable housing option for somebody in the community through the ADU or through an STR, it reduces the the ownership costs for the for the primary residence owner who's in the main house, um, or who's living in the in the granny flat in the back and renting out the main flat, right? And so, mm-hmm. this this has a huge impact, and you know the number of people who are able to buy second homes, not because they can afford the entire second home on their own, but because they're only having to fund fifty percent of the use of it while they're renting the other portion. So I think this has got big implications of of creating financial ability for families that may not have had it otherwise and are, are creating, you know, savings vehicles. Yeah. Right. And it's clearly, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, it's clearly driven, um, the ability, Keith, what you're saying, the ability for someone to fund a second yeah. home, a partial second home has, or a primary home has right. Has, has pumped more home sales into the market in right. 20 late 2020, 21 and 22. It, probably isn't happening as much right now, but it's a, it was a factor for our, uh, our sales shooting off like a hockey stick. Absolutely. From a residential side. Um, but the so, la- last thing I'll say, I think with John, before Jonathan kick, kicks in is that, you know, Bram, it, sound, it feels like we're talking about maybe an equilibrium is, might be being reached in the market where we had, you know, people, they saw the, the market on fire in the Airbnb world and STRs and they said, oh, I'm going to jump into that. 
and you might see a falling off of, of some of that, you know, 1.5 million, but not, you know, you're not going to lose 700,000 short-term rentals in the, in the, in the near or long-term because, because of the market dynamics. So, it, you know, my takeaway is that we're reaching a balance, balancing point, which might be more healthy than we might've anticipated, which I think is, you know, ultimately a, you know, balance is a good thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I should point out, we're not predicting any, any reduction, significant reduction in the, right. in the number of available listings. In fact, we were, we're expecting them to, to, to go up, but yeah, that balance uh, there, you know, the, that's going to put us on a more stable growth path that you can, you can have a much more predictable, um, reliable income stream in the future because we won't see these big shifts. I mean, you know, we can never overlook the fact that we under, underwent a, enormous historical transformation in, in 2022. So of course we would expect imbalances to occur um, after that. Uh, short-term rentals was, was one market where we saw that. Um, and, you know, we would also expect it to, to take a few years to, to work out. And that's, that's kind of the process that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Well, that's, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating industry that, uh, that has just grown dramatically over the past uh, five, 10 years. Um, and it's also fascinating that we've got these cottage industries that have popped up, like tracking the data from short-term rentals. Um, and so, I, you know, my last question for you, Bram, is on a day-to-day basis, right? You're 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 looking at the details of of the data that's coming through. What is the one piece of data or the one detail that you are always keeping an eye on that you think is kind of the linchpin? for uh for you know for the industry or for um for predicting kind of what's happening in uh in the short-term rental world sure yeah the the details that i sweat um it's it is tough to pick because there are a lot of details um but maybe i've got i've got uh two answers i guess which is you know kind of a cop-out but uh (laughs) you know the first would be you know i look at a lot of economic data um constantly because we've been I'm interested in what the future performance of the the market's going to be, and economics certainly has a big part of that. Um, you know, we've been forecasting. It seems like us economists have been forecasting recession for like the last twelve months. Uh, it hasn't materialized, and we've seen great great performance from the labor market. The Fed's trying to do all it can to slow the economy down, and and we're still just sort of chugging ahead. But don't worry, there's still hope yet for a recession. Um, you know, so we're, you know, we're, we're expecting a little bit of slowness in the back half, but you know, I've been, I really want to pay attention very, very closely to those employment numbers, to inflation, uh, to not only what the, uh, the, the, the fed is doing, but you know, the, the European central bank, bank of Canada, you know, just, you know, the global, um, economic situation as well. Uh, and then the other thing that I've been looking at very closely because I am trying to formulate forecasts for the for the upcoming year is just the change in lead times. Uh, so those have shortened significantly over just the last the last year. So looking at the pacing, we were we we're getting a little worried because the pacing wasn't as strong. But then every month, the demand that we actually saw was much stronger than historical pacing would suggest. Um, but and one of the reasons for that is people are are waiting on average about five more days before before booking. Um, so what are the, you know what are the reasons for that? Is it anxiety about the economy? Is it uh, uh, you know just uh, more spur of the moment kind of travel? I'm not sure, but it, it's definitely affecting 
um, how we how we sort of predict and forecast and look at this data. Uh, Graham, thank you. This is, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the three of us could ask more questions for another six hours and uh, still not cover all of them. So I will say thank you. Uh, we would, uh, one, love to have you back <laughs> in the fall, but also uh, thank you for the, taking the time to, to share all this data with us. Uh, this has been, um, you know, for me, extremely enlightening and hopefully for the for those listening, they, they find it enjoyable as well. Uh, yeah, Bram, I just, I, I just want to say thanks and I look forward to, to hearing where some of these papers go that you're working on and, and seeing what other, other fun numbers you can share with us. Thanks, Bram. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much. Time. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, Bram, thank you. That was uh, that was fun. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'd love to come back on the on the on the program if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Now that Keith's giving you an idea for a white paper, you know, I, I, I will say <laughs> I think I think the, the the fascinating part is obviously you know we've got some notes from previous conversations you had with Jim, but um, your your comment, your the detail you want to sweat. I love the fact that you still come back to the general economist mentality of. You know what? I may be working in this market, but the world is is controlling everything, and and uh, the general economic indicators are are still what we focus on. And I, it's the same. It's the same with us, right? We do care about mortgage rates, but we really care about the general recession mentalities and consumer sentiments and other stuff. So, right? Yeah, maybe we've. You know, it might just be that we've been traumatized because the last couple of recessions were real doozies, but it's something to pay attention to. I don't know. We didn't really feel it in 2009 in the real estate market. We, we that kind of just <laughs> floated right through and, you know, our sellers, our buyers, everybody was, they were happy. Just a blip. So, yeah. Just a blip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much. Hey, thank cool. you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate everything. Have a good weekend. You too. Hey everyone, Jim Duncan from Nest here. Thank you so much for listening to Sweat the Details. We love being able to share these conversations with you. If you're someone who enjoys our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please go to your preferred podcast platform, click the follow or subscribe button, and please rate us and review. If there's a topic you would like for us to cover, please drop it in the comments, reviews, or simply email jim at nestrealty.com. Thanks as always to Little Roadie Productions and Dave Stipe for the fantastic sound engineering and coordination with every single podcast. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week. See you soon.